I need to give a trigger warning for today's podcast. It does discuss the loss of a child and termination of pregnancy. So be aware of that before you go in, okay? All right, here we go. Today is the fourth day of rain in Alabama where I live. And uh, while that's been very helpful (laughs) in the way of not having to water anything, It's been very difficult to get out there and really connect, you know. I do have a wonderful exterior porch where I can sit and watch the rain or watch a sunset. And that's really nice, but to actually feel it, I'd have to be sopping wet right now. And that's not feasible because I'm also a teacher and I'm having to come back and forth to teach. That little fact and last night's coven meet put me in the mind of a subject I wanted to talk about today, and that is the distinction of being a pagan witch versus, um, I guess, any other kind. And like anybody who is dedicated to their craft, of course, I think mine's better. (laughs) But I also hear the uppity nonsense of that statement Things that I don't understand are not necessarily wrong. And uh, I think there are a lot of folks who could figure that one out and it would help us as a people. So, but because I am a pagan witch, I wanted to talk about what that meant. So let's go. Y'all snuggle up on the porch. Y'all know I don't know how we did it. I look back and I can't. I can't remember a single solitary group coven meet that we had over here on the farm. I cannot remember one in the house last winter. Now, if we had one and it's escaped my mind, I am getting older, but I don't remember one. And there were some fairly cold, (laughs) frozen moments for a lot of them. But that porch has become symbolic and I think part of, of the experience for all of our coven and it just has to be out there it does and I provide or they bring all these yummy blankets and warm fuzzies so that they can stay warm during it but we've we've suffered a little bit here and there and it's not that I won't have them in the house it's that that is not conducive to the work we do which is pagan witchcraft Now, of course, if it gets too cold, then yeah. If a bunch of blankets won't get her, we'll come on in. But most of the time, even if there's not crickets, you know, or that sort of thing, we can still hear everything from the rain to the wind through the trees. And a lot of times in the winter, we can hear the coyotes running. That little yip-yip. It's, uh, well, you know... At its baseline, I I suppose a little bit frightening to some folks. It's not that scary to me because for all of this time, and let's just go ahead and knock on wood, we haven't had any show up right here in the yard. 
that I know of. I mean, they may be walking around there all night long, and I don't know, but they, they don't want to be around people. And on those nights, I always put my dogs on leashes when we go outside to take them potty because I want to still love coyotes. And so, yeah, that connection with the outside world, it is so critical to me. I want my house to be more like a a warm, cozy cave, you know, cottage kind of thing. But even then, I couldn't possibly stay in here all day. And I have a really hard time casting my spells inside of a house. I don't know if there are other folks out there like that. But for me, my feet in the dirt, however cold it is, however wet it is, it just resonates with me a lot more. We have a wood-burning stove, and uh, when it is really, really cold, I can still find my way to my magic if I'm casting in front of it. I guess that natural element of fire is really pulling in my pagan leanings there. But I can't imagine some of these houses I see. You know, the very clinical and clean and sterile environments. I I don't think I could cast in those. I look at McMansions and I think, oh, honey, no way. And if I were gifted something like that, oh, that'd be so cool. Somebody give me a mansion. Somebody do it. Because what I would do with that, most probably, is sell it and buy a bunch of little cottages for my friends and the people I think that need them. I find them to be horrendous to the environment, to the landscape. Hell no. Uh Uh-uh. I think I'm more of a tiny house kind of gal altogether. My own home is no more than 1,600 square footage. I know, right? It's got two bedrooms. Wait, no, it's got three. (laughs) One of them's just a, a podcast room. But that footage includes a porch. Uh huh. So it is very, very tiny indeed. And I love it. I love the little tiny rooms. And we are working on redoing it, but I'm constantly thinking about bringing the outside in as much as possible and keeping a very low carbon footprint because, and we're about to get into it, I am a pagan witch. Now, if we look up the word pagan, we are going to come up with all kinds of different etymologies and lots of different definitions because at the end of the day, everybody's got their own interpretation. For me, it still resides in the people of the woods, the people of, not of, outside of mainstream religion, the folks who resist dogma, the folks who are connected to the processes of nature in a way that actually informs their craft. That's me. That's always me. And of course, the people of the woods, well, that doesn't always hold or serve, does it? If we're talking about those witches who work, you know, well with beachfronts and deserts, and that's all cool too. That to me is also pagan. But just to embed our feet, deeply situate ourselves in our craft within the processes and the reverence of nature and see that as inherent to our magic, that would be the kind of pagan I am. Uh, It doesn't require a woods but I sure do find my way in them a lot. (laughs) So last night, let's talk about last night. Well, as usual, I can't give away any uh, 
secret stuff, I can talk about the general nature of what we do. And one of the things to be a part of this coven, uh, we call it mine, but it's really ours. And everybody brings something and keeps it alive and creates this beautiful tapestry of witchcraft. So it's not just mine. It's a shared experience. But one of the requirements is that uh, a witch would necessarily need to identify as pagan as well. We're not, although we don't hold any trouble or countenance with ceremonial magicians or folks of that ilk, we are not that. That is not who we are. You know, much like Byron Ballard, my beloved big sister, who I just adore and honestly cannot imagine a world without her in it. We are at the beginning of the Appalachian Trail, so a lot of that informs our craft. And if you know anything about an Appalachian witch, then you would know that they very much see nature and the processes of her as inherent in their craft. But I'm also from river folk. Um, The Tennessee River runs right through our state, and it is a natural resource that has informed all of my, well, everything. My growing up, my memories, um, the inflection of the way I speak, all of it comes from river folk that are literally at the base of the Appalachian Mountains. So I find it just untenable to not consider myself a pagan. I, I just, I don't understand. <laughs> and, but However, I'll accept it. It's none of my business, but I just don't fully understand. Anyway, last night we all got together and Often, I'll have a lesson prepared, one that's anywhere from 10 to 25 years old. And we go over, you know, witchcraft stuff. (laughs) I can't tell you. But occasionally, I don't feel that it's important for me to lecture, you know, and only take notes. I'm an academic witch as well. Highly educated one. Um, Although sometimes you wouldn't be able to tell that. And so my methodology has always been to to lecture a little bit, then have an open discussion and see where we land, which is a, a little bit more of a holistic, organic way to go. But sometimes we don't. Sometimes we want our hands in the craft. And last night was one such night. I can't expect them to learn about growing things and I can't expect them to care about the processes of those things. I can't expect them to care about soil quality or microenvironments or any of the things that are really the touchstones of my craft unless they put their hands in it and then by proxy have their own experience. Once you have that kind of experience, honey, it's very unlikely that you're going to walk away. It is just the most magical of all. So last night, instead of seeding, because we've well passed that and we didn't get around to it, because honestly, Farmer Seba was in the house earlier and was working her ass off. I'm talking about myself in third person. I'm obviously tired. Okay, so last night we did propagation and it was a lot of fun because I was able to talk about the difference between that and grafting And how propagation methods, you know, basically result in an exact copy. So I reckon we're cloning. But Mother Nature does clone plants. And uh, often, 
if you've seen, for instance, a muscadine vine that has been not kept up exactly the way it should be and it's grown a little bit more wild, she'll put one arm down in that dirt. Okay, soil. We don't say dirt. We say soil. Dirt's what's on your shoes. Soil is what grows things. Okay? But she'll put that arm down in that, that soil. Look, I almost did it again. And new roots will actually grow off of that contact with the soil. And at that point, that's the root system that's going to feed anything that comes outside of it. And quite often, it'll rot off right at that point. Uh, the same is true with, well, I've noticed to be true, at least in my yard, it happens. If you bend down a gardenia arm, it will do the same thing. And then, of course, there are the more rhizome things. Uh, the elderberry that I have out here will grow a whole new tree system up from an old root that's, you know, maybe five feet away. So it does happen. And I wanted to give them my actual babies, my, my beloved plants. And if you were ever here or ever watched any of my videos, you would know I've got heritage things. I've got some, I guess, oddities or things that are not usually grown in Alabama. And they're my babies and I love them very much. So last night we did, let's see, three different kinds of heirloom roses. None of them hybrids. I don't. I don't do hybrids. And gardenia. We also did some gardenia. And it was, to me, just as fruitful of a coven experience as it would have been for me to have a whole lecture planned with a lot of research. And I really do find the hands-on experience to be possibly more valuable. And of course, while they were doing it, because I don't want them to miss the connection between the craft and gardening, farming, whatever. So while they were doing it, I was able to kind of share ideas with them about how to do a spell while cutting something. This whole wonderful idea to me is based in the fact that they're amputating. They are. They're amputating an, a long arm off of a bush or shrub or whatever. And they are asking it to do the miracle of growing from a node. Let's be very scientific about that. Now, this is a wonderful opportunity to consider what you want to cut off in your life and start growing. You know, I think about it like how I'm always a teacher. See, I'm always a teacher. I've taught in the university setting since the year 2000. So that's 23 years. It feels like it was yesterday. I'm also a mother, and I've been a mama since 1986, and that involved a lot of teaching. And now, of course, in re since 2009, I've opened up our family heritage witchcraft line in which I'm a teacher again. Obviously, I cannot get away from this, and it's just inherent in me. It's just something I like to do. I'm not very authoritarian. But I'm super into sharing knowledge and coaching and guiding. I love it. I don't know how not to do it. So sometimes I kind of get in trouble because I accidentally teach. You know? Okay, but stay with me. I know it sounds like I'm running around a mulberry bush, y'all. But there is a method here to the madness. So I'm really ready. I am. I'm ready to walk away 
from university teaching, mostly because the online experience is not very rewarding. Um, the pay is excruciatingly low. They will not pay you a living wage, honey. At least the ones I know of will not. And so you have to piecemeal your um, economic situation together. You have to have, you know, a class you teach from one university and one you teach from another. And there are no benefits. You work harder than you would normally work. I know I do in a regular brick and mortar university setting. So it's just all together is a very unsatisfying experience. And the reason it's hard to get like a full time online job is because they know they can do this to us. They've been doing it to us for decades and decades. They can just, you know, <laughs> I hate to use this word, but they can farm out the work. And lots of folks need to pick up extra money. So overall, it's a very untenable life situation. And I'm miserable. I am. It doesn't mean I'm not a teacher, though. So if I were to look at my life and take with it what I want, but create a new root system, you see where I'm going yet? Then a lot of it would look identical. I'd still be Seba. I'd still be me. I'd still be a mama and a grandmama and a coven leader. I'd still be all the, a farmer. I'd still be all these things. But I need a new root base because the old one is not nourishing me anymore. It's not putting the food up into me that I need to live. I'm still with this plant thing. Y'all hang on, honey. Hang on. So when I'm explaining this to the students last night, I think the important part for me was that they get that what they were doing was not, you know, that we're not little tiny gods. We're not crafting, well, I think the better way to put that would be birthing a new life. Not with this, we're not. We are literally asking the energy that's left in what we've cut off to please consider putting down roots. And trying to live a new life as this arm. This was a good arm. Now, let's go live somewhere else. So, I think the lesson got in. I hope the lesson got in. And y'all, if anybody can beat an analogy to death, it will be me. So, let me try. There were tiny flower buds that I did not notice. Usually, I will not take an arm of anything if there's a, a bud on it. Uh, I'm a softy. I want it to be able to come to full bloom. But also, I know that that arm may not be ready to try to propagate. It's got other work to do. And if I do it by accident, say there was a tiny little gardenia bloom hiding within the leaves, and yes, there was one, I taught them that we have to remove that. We have to remove that and quite a lot of those leaves on either side of the branch. And the reason is, of course, because we're asking it to throw down new roots. And therefore, the arm, if you will, cannot support new life at that time. It's trying really hard to dig in deep and become something somewhat new. Or at least on its own terms, its own living thing. And it's very heartbreaking to cut those little nodes off, but they must be cut off. And the extra leaves on either side of that branch, well, you know, I usually go down to two on each side, maybe three if it's a certain kind of plant. And everything else must be stripped away for the same reason. It cannot sustain that much. 
And the way I would beat the analogy to death <laughs> is that in starting a new life, whether that is changing jobs or changing everything, moving away, uh, breaking off a toxic relationship, or even one that wasn't toxic but was not bringing you joy, anything of that ilk, anything that is a huge change of life, we cannot support all of the busy new growth that was associated with that other life. It's got to go. We have to have space to heal, space to get our, you know, root legs going. We really need that. Well, whatever energy is left in us, we need that to grow again. Now, for me, that would mean not taking on extra projects right now because I am trying to lift off something new. That would mean not going out and hanging out with my old friends as much only because it really doesn't serve me that much right now and I have to focus on what I'm trying to grow. So you can see how I can beat that to death, but also you can see how to me, the lessons of being a pagan witch are already out there in nature. They're all just sitting there waiting to show us. So the girls did it last night. They, gosh, I think there were 13, maybe 14 different propagation pots when they left. And it's very exciting. I did warn them that most of them are probably going to bite the dust. Propagation, especially of what we were doing last night, it, it's just, um, it's like I told them, it's a Hail Mary. <laughs> but everything was in place. They cut their own sections. They spoke with the tree. They were reverent about what they were doing. They asked permission. They were kind with their new babies. They considered them that. And, and so I do think this is one of the best ways to get in contact. That's, you know, we're so out of touch with the natural world. Of course, it's not one of the easiest, but at the end of Coven Meet, I found myself apologizing to him, saying that I hope it was okay that I didn't have a lesson planned today. And they kind of laughed at me because, <laughs> because it was a lesson. It was a lesson. And um, for a pagan witch, I believe it was a necessary one. We often talk about our impact on the earth, but what I also want them to learn is that rather than impacting it, they could work with it. There are ways that we can offer ourselves up as stewards, as helpers to the woods, to the waters, to the soil, the living, beautiful soil. And I suppose one of the reasons that that is not as popular today with witches, especially young witches, is because, well, I've heard from some young witches that they don't see what they can get back out of it. And I have to tell you, that does make me sad. First of all, as what I am, as this pagan river country witch, my reverence, <laughs> my goddess worship, everything that means anything to me is already embedded in this life. It's already out there. But I understand not everyone's very altruistic and we all want to believe that we're the and I'll be all of power. We're not. And uh, as one of my younger friends likes to say, I guess I live this way because I understood the assignment. <laughs> 
I did. I understood the assignment. I am powered by nature. I am sustained in this way. And that is why I've been able to open up and learn from the land spirits. That is why I've been able to, I guess it sounds a little, as one of my friends calls it, (laughs) woo-woo. You know, new age, woo-woo. But it's just true that you can forge relationships with wild animals, with trees, maybe not in the way that we understand that in a society that wants to tame everything and colonize everything. But the natural world has so much to teach us if we would stop trying to do that and learn. And that would be my answer to those young witches who do not see what can be given back to them is that this grandma witch has learned so much about her own craft. I have learned where my limits are not, not where my limits are. And that has a lot to do with opening up and becoming part of this world of ecology, of the darkness of the woods, the quiet of the water. Because in the end, it is the path of least resistance. And there are treasure troves of wonder here. The thing is, you can't demand it. (laughs) You can't demand it. You have to hope that you are worthy of receiving it. And there's only one way to do that. And that is to get out there and do the work. For these reasons, I am a pagan witch. The pagan in me is first and foremost. The witch part of me is how I live, how I express myself, how I interact with the world, how my soul sings, how I express myself creatively and make change. The pagan part of me, the honey, that's just my root bed. <laughs> that's where I'm growing from. So I don't know. I just wanted to speak to that today. I just don't hear... um. I don't even think a pagan witch has to actually worship, for lack of a better word, and I don't like that word very much, any kind of entity. I mean, I know atheist ones, you know, it it can happen, but I personally am a goddess worshiper. I understand God to be the great mama, so she is the goddess in my heart, and she's all things. She really is. And the place I find her, where I always find her is um out there in the woods against a tree, running my hand along wildflowers, standing in a running natural stream against an ocean on a mountain. I find her there. And to me, she's all of them. She's all these beautiful faces and facets of the great mother. She is everything to me. That heartbeat I listen for, that heartbeat is also, I guess, woo-woo. Anyway, I'm way off topic, kind of, or at least I'm deep in the woods, which is appropriate. Y'all, at the end of the day, my pagan nature has literally saved my life. It has, over and over. You know, About 12 years ago, I lost a baby. I might have been 13 by now. And it was heartbreaking. It was um, a baby I tried very hard to have. And there's extenuating circumstances that are just too difficult to discuss. I will say that there's a special kind of pain that comes along with having to 
terminate a pregnancy that you did everything in your power to bring into being. So I will out myself that far. We made a choice and we based it on our moral system that was about the health of our baby. This was crippling to me. This was crippling to me. This was a nightmare. I am still so grateful that at that time I had that choice, that my husband and I had that choice. I mean, together we had to make it because we had <laughs> we had wanted her so much and her name was Riley. We did name her. And we did terminate that pregnancy because of her situation which still feels too private to share with anyone, and we just won't. We're not the same, because the tragedy of that, just honestly, it took a piece of us out. It took a piece of our marriage away. It took a piece of me away, a piece of him. We'll likely never be healed from this event. However, I found a way to cut off an arm of that life I had been in that I wanted to save. I found a way to propagate that arm and build new roots from it. Lots of me is still the same, but it's, of course, a copy that could grow and in a new place, a new place and all together. It is what I'm living. It is what we have. I'm now a grandmama and that's brought me so much joy. So many other joys have come in, but no one's going to fill a wound like this. You know, it's like that old saying, um, I first heard it when I was watching the movie, The Goodbye Girl. I find that very ironic in this conversation. Um, But I was very young when I saw it. It was a movie in the 70s. And he was quoting something that I'm sure is uh, poetry or Shakespeare or something extraordinarily relevant. However, what's important is what I took out of it. So here we go. He was telling the story about a knight who was in horrible pain. I think it was a knight. But he had an arrow that had um, run through his heart and was in such a position that it could not be removed. And someone asked him, does it hurt? And he said, only when I laugh. Anyone that's gone through real trauma knows exactly what that means. Sometimes it gets a little numb and it just sort of floats there. We get used to the pain somewhat and can walk about and do our daily jobs, brush our teeth, move on, work. But when we do laugh, when our spirit is, I don't know, tricked (laughs) into forgetting for one moment the incredible pain that's still stuck in our hearts and we laugh and we we guffaw and we throw our heads back and the jostling of that up against the arrow embedded in our hearts that's when it hurts the most anyway I was in that kind of pain not that kind of pain actually I was in it fresh I was in it hard I was still bleeding I was oh you know considering not sticking around and I had before the termination of this pregnancy I had a garden out back and we were living in the city and it was right there in a patch of sun and I had squashes and cucumbers and melons and of course (laughs) 
I 100% stopped tending to it because it had started to represent to me what I had lost. It was representing to me hope, you know, it was representing to me all those moments where she was still in my belly and I was bringing forth all this life and seeding so much hope and, and I couldn't bear it anymore. My partner, bless his heart, would just mow around it. We lost her on July 9th, so it had to be mowed around. He also couldn't bear to go into it. And one night I was sitting out back and just heartbroken and I was crying and looking at the stars because I, as I'm not a Christian, I don't blame anything. I don't blame God. I don't blame the devil. I just knew that genetics didn't make the cut this time and sometimes life isn't tenable and I desperately needed a sign from her uh, or from the universe, from anything (laughs) that I would still have joy in my life, that I would still have some sort of joy with this arrow through my heart. And the next morning, my partner came in and he had his arms full. I'd never noticed it before. I, I guess I just wasn't looking closely enough, but the garden was doing this crazy thing. It was literally throwing vegetables out of it. Um, he found them all on the periphery the next morning. Cucumbers everywhere. Squash. A cantaloupe. <laughs> the garden had slung its arms up and slung me food, sustenance, nurturing. And I, you know, I'm not one of those people that if I beg for a sign and, and somebody slaps me across the face with one, I'm not going to say, well, that wasn't clear enough. Do it again. I'm still a witch, y'all. And I still believe in magic. And ever since that day, I have grown a garden, a farm, food. I've grown flowers and herbs and chamomile in tiny pots because it's so hot here. And I walk along my garden at night. That ever-consuming hope still beating within me because I cannot seem to stop seeding things and growing things. And occasionally, I will look down and see something magnificent like the first tomato or hummingbird flying by my head, or an orb weaver making her beautiful creation up against all of this wonder out there. And it will make me laugh. It will make me joyous. And I can feel the jostle in my heart, such as the price I pay now. But I think what the story forgets to tell us, or I suppose what the focus of the story forgets to make sure we get is that there's laughter. There's still joy. I think when I was younger, I think I focused only on the part of the story that told me that there would be pain. Now that I have this permanent arrow, it's more important to me now that there will be joy. And it is a new life. It is a very well propagated new life. It has new roots. It has much of the same fruit-bearing capabilities. It's, it's really still me. And I know what cut, that little diagonal cut I taught them to make last night. I know what cut this life comes from. And while I can never be thankful for it, I'm sorry, I am thankful within it. I suppose if I only had one moment to defend what being pagan means to me, I would say it feels like coming home. 
to a place I never understood or knew, to my natural inheritance, to something that was taken from me and civilization and the cold, hard edges of concrete. It was something that I was supposed to have this relationship. It was supposed to be. And it brings back the wild that is supposed to be in my witch heart. And without that wildness, well, I'd just be a burnt up stick on the ground. And there just wouldn't be very much magic for me. And I certainly wouldn't still be growing. So my classroom, (laughs) even though I'm a teacher, my classroom is somewhere out there. And it always will be. And I thank my daughter Riley for teaching me that as she left this plane. You know, we watched her dance on that ultrasound. She was really big about dancing. And I hope that wherever she is today, she is still doing that jig, that joy, that happiness. Because it's all fleeting. It really is. And I'd give anything for the ending to have been different. But I'm not going to let it go to waste. I'm going to learn from it. And if I need sanctuary, my church is out there under the pine trees. So that's what I wanted to talk to y'all about today. Why I'm a pagan witch. (laughs) I hope it made some kind of sense. And whatever kind of witch you are, I hope you do take the time to make those connections with nature. It may be a little (laughs) woo-woo. It may be a little new age to you, but at the end of the day, it is the oldest magic on the planet. So tap into it, honey bunnies. I gotta go back to work. Love y'all like chicken. Talk to you next week. Blessed be. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the deep south.